Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from the front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to another Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. Guess what? What? I already know what you're going to talk about. You do? Mm-hmm. Why? Because while you were sleeping last night, I built a time machine. Really? Yeah, and I came forward just a little bit uh-huh. and figured it out and then I went back. So there's nothing to do with all the research you got in front of you? Nope. Okay. So as you've probably guessed, Bella's already hinted at, we are doing time travel today. But I already knew that. You already knew that. She's a woman, she knows everything. Uh-huh. So, first of all, need to apologise. Last week there wasn't a podcast. The reason for that was is that whilst working away I had a little accident and wasn't feeling very well um, for the rest of last week. So... It was an unforeseen circumstance, you might say. Tell the truth. You just wanted to go out and have Mexican food. Well, we did that during the day. But Uh yes, we did go out and have Mexican food. And then all night after the Mexican food, I had to suffer because of you. Having the Mexican food. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I still wasn't feeling well. Because you wanted beans in it. (laughs) You weren't feeling well either after that. I wonder why. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, so apologies for not doing it last week. But anyway, we're going to move forward this week with this week's episode. So as I said, it is on time travel. And this was actually sort of came about by Albert Einstein in 1905 when he wrote down his special theory of relativity. Nah. No, no, no. It was back to the future. That's where it came from. Yeah, but that was after. That was in the 90s, wasn't it? This is 1905. But if you ask anybody from our generation, all of the geeks would go, Back to the Future, that's where it came from. Doing the research, there's loads of time travel movies I never even knew anything about. We're going to have to have a time travel fest movie weekend this weekend. We're going to have to buy shed loads of Doritos, plenty of dips, no beans in them, (laughs) and watch some time travel movies. Anyway... Back to the actual bones of it. Albert Einstein in 1905 wrote down his special theory of relativity that showed that space and time are intimately linked. And in 1916, his theory of general relativity showed that space and time are malleable. That is, they respond to the presence of matter or energy by warping, bending, expanding and contracting. By extension, this means that if one can imagine space being filled with some exotic form of energy, then space and time could warp in a way so that time, as well as space, could bend back on itself like circles, allowing one to move forward in a straight line and still return to one's starting point in both space and time. So I can remember this being explained. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we did the podcast and we put that excerpt of Bob Exler in from that YouTube clip that I had? Yeah. He actually describes travel at faster than the speed of light, and it's all to do with this warping of space. Mm-hmm. And he said that if you imagine, and you have to listen to the whole interview if, if you want to, if you haven't already listened to that, go back a couple of episodes and listen to that. I think that was on the Betty and Barney Hill or the alien abduction one. Yeah, but you did. could also borrow the time machine that I made last night and just yeah. You know, Go so there that, and that'll be on eBay by the end of tonight, guys. Yeah. He Bob Exler described that if you imagine space as like a waterbed and you put a bowling ball <laughs> in the middle of it, stop it, will you? And you put a waterbed. A, yeah. And imagine that you imagine that you've got a waterbed, okay, and that maybe I don't know, twenty inches apart you put two marks on the waterbed. And then you put a bowling ball in the middle of those two marks. 
the water bed will kind of wrap around the bowling ball so those two <laughs> marks come closer and then you're traveling distance in a shorter relative space because of the whole warping effect of space so because space and time which is now called space time is interlinked you're essentially bringing forward time as well as the space when you're warping around it right and you could also take a piece of paper and draw it and then fold it fold it exactly uh, Exactly the same thing. See, but you couldn't do it. You had to pick a bed because well, no, you're a man. That's the way Bob Exler. Exactly, because he's a man. <laughs> so, do you want to start off with the first example of time travel that we've got here? Well, okay, but I can't promise I'm going to pronounce all the names right. But I suppose everybody's kind of used to that by now. Yeah. One way to achieve time travel into the future would be traveling at the speed of light in space, as first theorized by Albert Einstein. Indeed, cosmonaut Sergei. Kirkalev? Sergei Kirkalev. Yeah, him. He probably drinks vodka. Technically lives in the future. Due no stereotypes to his... at all. What, you know, what was it in the other one? You said that I probably pissed off all the... Oh, I can't remember who it was now. Muslims you, or something? You've pissed off Muslims. You've pissed, <laughs> off, you've pissed off Native Americans by calling them all alcoholics. Well, I'm an equal opportunity ear caresser. Lovely. Okay. Yes. This Mr... Kirkalev technically lives in the future due to his extended period on the International Space Station. After spending almost 804 days in space, he arrived back on Earth 0.02 seconds in the future thanks to a process known as time dilation. Under accepted theories of time travel, engineers would have to build a spaceship which could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second and head out into space. Theoretical physicist and string theorist Brian Green of Columbia University said, imagine you go out for six months and you turn around and you come back for six months. While you're traveling at the speed of light, time stays slow relative to the people who are standing still back on Earth. As a result, you would be going fast while your clock would still be going slow. When you step out of your ship, you're one year older, but Earth has gone through many, many years. It can have gone through 10,000, 100,000, or a million years, depending on how close to the speed of light you traveled. However, the only problem is that a machine traveling at such speed would require an unimaginable amount of energy, while the stress from the centrifugal force on the body would likely prove fatal. So yeah, like, no. Wouldn't want to do that, would you? Well, apparently you did it this morning. Mm. <laughs> Busted. That, that, okay, forget that, eBay then. Yeah, yeah, see, you done screwed yourself. But there's another feasible way to travel through time, and once again, it involves going into outer space. Einstein also theorized that if you were to situate yourself on the edge of a black hole, time would pass more slowly. Hey, in Doodle Jump today, I jumped in a black hole and died. <laughs> there's just no answer to that. No, but it's what happened, it's true. I should have known, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing how I made my spaceship and stuff. Professor Green explains in his Big Think video, you hang out next to a black hole for a while, you come back, get out of your ship, and it will be any number of years in the future. Whatever you want, all depending on how close you got to the edge of the black hole and how long you hung out there. That is time travel to the future. But time travel has already happened. How about that then? Somebody already did it, and it wasn't 
Marty McFly. No, it wasn't Marty McFly. Like you said, it was that Sergei Krakalev. Krakalev? Krakalev? something. The or vodka other. guy. Yeah, the vodka guy. Green also says that no one currently has definitive proof that you can travel back to the past. Apparently, only travelling into the future is possible. Well, I guess because you wouldn't go to... uh, Well, I suppose you, you know, wouldn't want to go back and then see yourself because then that, like, supposed to be... Well, we're going to be talking about paradoxes later on where we're going to touch on a few of those things. But Green also says that every time they look into the proposal and details, it seems kind of clear that they're right on the edge at the moment of the known laws of physics. He also feels that once physics sort of progresses that little bit further and they understand things a little bit more they believe that the proposals for time travel will actually be ruled out eventually to to the past. They're going to possibly be able to fully rule that out. But I don't know if you guys follow our Twitter feed. We are at www.podcast. I actually tweeted something out that was shown last week whereby scientists have actually found now that their whole hypothesis on how planets are formed was wrong. They've been going down this whole idea of, of how planets were formed and it and it's been totally wrong and been proved now to be incorrect. And I tweeted that out with a little comment, something along the lines of sea scientists don't still know everything. You know what sucks about that? What? My whole entire like eighth grade science now was a waste of time. Well, I mean because- that's the thing, because they, they're constantly, you know, especially with the paranormal stuff, and this really winds me up. You get the paranormal stuff, whether you're talking ghosts or whether you're talking extraterrestrials or UFOs or whatever, and scientists will come along and say, well, no, that doesn't happen and can't happen because I can't prove it in a lab, I can't recreate it. And really, that's just bullshit because they might not be able to recreate it in the lab, but there's too many bits of evidence, there's too many people that have experienced things for scientists just to go, nah, it doesn't exist, because we've just shown with that last news report with the planets that I tweeted out last week, that they don't know everything yet. Yeah, well, you know what's going to happen, right? Some being alien or whatever is going to come here after we're gone, like all the humans have been wiped out by them or whatever, and they're going to go looking through like all these old papers and filing cabinets and laughing because they're going to go, look, they thought until whatever... What, what, what year was it when we all decided that... Uh, Pluto wasn't a planet. Oh, goodness knows. Like 2000 or something, wasn't it? But I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, that that was always a planet. Yeah. And and we were given, which <laughs> I can't remember now, but it was like how you do rainbows, right? You remember the colors in a rainbow. We, we used named to do it, it Roy G. Bip was the thing. But, and, and we did something like that with planets. And now, well, yeah, ours was my very easy method just shows us nine planets. And it's wrong. <laughs> and it's wrong, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so here's a nice story that reminds me a bit of that 112263, that Stephen King book. Yeah, there's that too. How come he got to go back? Because well, it's a can- made up story, that's why. Well, but. Uh, well, no, but most of it <laughs> is, a isn't made up it? Story. Like, like a lot of the movies are where they go back in no, time. No, all of the movies are <laughs> where they go back in well, time. Well, why don't they ever go into the future? Well, back to, Bill and Ted's did. Back to the Future did. <laughs> we don't go forward. Party on. Oh, no, that we, was Wayne's World, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, we, we don't go forward in time because all the men's hairs will be grey and all the women see the wrinkles, so nobody wants to go, nobody wants to go in the future. On a sunny Saturday afternoon in July of 1996, Frank and his wife, Carol, were visiting Liverpool's Bold Street Station to do some shopping. Frank, incidentally, was a police officer at the time. 
Almost every one of our podcast members is a police officer. I know. Usually it's your dad, and he doesn't have any funny... No, no. No, no. Okay. At Central Station, the pair split up. Carol went to Dylan's bookshop, and Frank went to HMV to look for a CD he wanted. As he walked up the incline near the Lyceum Post Office and Cafe building that led onto Bold Street, Frank suddenly noticed that he'd entered a strange oasis of quietness, he describes. Suddenly, a small box van that looked like something out of the 1950s sped across his path, honking its horn as it narrowly missed him. Frank noticed the name on the van's side, Kaplan's. When he looked down, the confused policeman saw that he was unexpectedly standing in the road. The off-duty policeman crossed the road and saw that Dylan's bookstore now had Crips over its entrances. Had what? Crips, C-R-I-P-P-S, it's the name of a different store. More confused, he looked in to see not books, but women's handbags and shoes. Looking around, Frank realised people were dressed in clothes that appeared to be from the 1940s. Suddenly, he spotted a young girl in her early 20s dressed in a lime-coloured sleeveless top. Mmm, natty. (laughs) The handbag she was carrying had a popular brand name on it, which reassured the policeman that maybe he was still partly in 1996. It was a paradox, but he was relieved and he followed the girl into Crips. As the pair went inside, Frank watched in amazement as the interior of the building completely changed in a flash to look like that of Dylan's bookshop of 1996. The girl turned to leave, and Frank lightly grasped the girl's arm to attract attention and said, Did you see that? She replied, Yeah, I thought it was a clothes shop. I was going to look around, but it's a bookshop. It was later determined that Cripps and Kaplan's were businesses based in Liverpool during the 1950s. Whether these businesses were based in locations specified in the story has not yet been confirmed. Frank's experience is not that unusual. In the realm of strange phenomenon, there is a name given to such events. Time slips. Or drugs and hallucinogenics. (laughs) Schizophrenia. That's another thing we mention every single episode is drugs. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) A time slip is an event where it appears that some other era has briefly intruded on the present. A time slip seems to be spontaneous in nature and localization, but there are places on the planet that seem to be more prone than others to time slip events, as well as some people who may be more inclined to experience time slips than others. If time then is the unmovable force that physicists say it is, why do some people have experiences that seem to flaunt this concept? Now, there's actually a place, I think, in Kent that regularly has reports, people report in this one town, people report of time slips happening. Really? Yeah. I wonder where that is. We have to go there. I can't remember. No, I don't want to go there because I'm sure I'd go back to some really not nice period or something. Like the one in Cary? No, but... (laughs) uh, No, that that was a horrible period. I didn't know what it was when I first watched Carrie and she was in the shower and all that was going on. I, I didn't know what the hell it was. So now you're just linking this all again because 112263 was Stephen King and so was Carrie. Ah, oh, we mentioned Stephen King almost every episode <laughs> as well. We need to be getting Stephen King on the old, um, on the old tweeter. Mm-mm, tweeter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not old. In 1935, Dr. E.G. Moon, a very down-to-earth Scots physician with a practice in Broadstairs, visited a patient named Lord Carson. After talking to Carson, the doctor left his patient and made his way downstairs into the hallway. His mind was very clearly occupied at the time with the instructions he had given the nurse about the prescription he had left for Carson. 
At the front door, Dr. Moon hesitated, wondering whether to go back upstairs to have another word with the nurse. It was at this point that the doctor noted that his car was no longer where he'd left it in the driveway. In fact, it had been parked alongside a thick yew hedge, and that, too, was missing. Even the drive down, which he had driven from the main road, was now nothing but a muddy track, and a man was coming toward him. The newcomer on the scene, only 30 yards from Dr. Moon, was rather oddly dressed, wearing an old-fashioned coat with several capes around his shoulders. He wore a top hat of the kind seen in the previous century. As he walked, he smacked a switch against his riding boots. Over his shoulder, he carried a long-barreled gun. He stared hard at Moon, and the doctor registered the fact that the man coming toward him might have looked more at home in the 19th century. So, like, I wonder what was in that prescription. <laughs> well, I don't think the doctor had the prescription. This is the doctor, don't forget. Well, he's not saying. Maybe he was nipping. Remarkably, Dr. Moon seems, not at the time, to have been either alarmed or even mildly surprised by the changed scenery, by the quite oddly dressed man approaching him, or the fact that his car was missing. What preoccupied him was the thought of Lord Carlson's prescription. He simply turned away without any concern to go back into the house, but he did quite casually take one more look at the scene as he was leaving, and now, as if by magic, the car was back where it had been and the U-hedge too. The drive was no longer a muddy track, and the man had also disappeared, back, one assumes, to the previous century. And it was only now that Dr. Moon realized that something odd, something decidedly odd, had occurred. Okay, then. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think you'd, like... Open the door and look out and see stuff from a hundred years ago and be like, what the fuck? I mean, how could he just like, oh, ever so nonchalantly been not? Yeah, it's weird though, isn't it? Because where he's describing this Lord Carlson's place is out in the country. So it wouldn't be unusual to see a groundskeeper or something like that actually having a shotgun over their shoulder to keep the grouse away or whatever, you know, or keep the bunnies down. You know, that's yeah. that's what they do, these gamekeepers <laughs> do, you know, they, and they do. I've been on plenty of these nice big country manor places and that's one of the things they do. Okay, First thing well, in the morning is go out and kill all the rabbits that are running around. All right, well, but still, I think I would be a little concerned if I opened the door or the shade or something and said, uh, Shelly, <laughs> you know, there's like <laughs> nothing out there. Yeah. All this took seconds, and so there is every reason to understand why Dr. Moon did not immediately go out into the driveway to see where his missing car was. For the same reason, it is understandable why he did not speak to the man dressed like a farm bailiff of the past. Dr. Moon was drawn into some kind of accepting, hallucinatory state. When he came to, for that seems to be the best way of describing his return to his own time, he described to Lady Carlson what he thought had occurred. Yeah, and I'd have been like, here you go, take your prescription, I'm going to get another doctor, look at my husband, thank you very much. He was anxious, however, that no word of it should come out in his lifetime for fear that his patients would begin to question his judgment. Exactly what mm -hmm. you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was only after his death that the story was revealed. Yeah, and she was like, what, at the at the funeral saying, oh, guess what, he told me this. It had to be her that told the story, right? Unless he told a bunch of other people. Yeah, well, he may have told his wife or something, mightn't he? You know, it may not necessarily have been her that let the cat out of the bag, but, I mean, we don't know whether she died before him. She could have. I bet she got in a second opinion, too. What, whether she was dead? 
<laughs> no, but I'm that's not a dead. Whole, no, but that's a whole other thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. that's a whole other podcast for another day. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Blowing actually, that smoke thing. up the butt with the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that again. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that. It is difficult to grapple with the notions of time slips. It may be that all past events are impressed into the fabric of buildings and that in some way and on some occasions they are released. In other words, what Dr. Moon saw was ghosts, but not solely of people, but of all of their surroundings. So that's quite interesting when you think about it, because those people that claim that they can see auras say that everything has an aura. And if that's true, then everything has an energy. And if that's true, could residual energy be left over? So you mean... So like that chair's got a ghost. Not necessarily a ghost, but like an energy field or something that can either be seen or recalled at some point and seen again. Well, I guess it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because you're talking about time travel or parallel universes. Maybe the... Maybe maybe the other timeline has something you sit on, not necessarily exactly, a chair. Exactly, so that's what they mean with a time slip. It's not necessarily something that you're seeing like a ghost from the past. You're actually seeing the past because there's some kind of crack or something that, that somehow this new timeline has come through. Or else uh, the doctor there just had some of his drugs and turned around. Yeah, but we say that every yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every oh, yeah pod- still. No, but I mean, every podcast we say that... Oh, maybe it's the drugs. We gotta go out of that because we fall into the same category then as these scientists who, who are almost saying, "I'm not prepared to believe it because I can't see it in the book." And so we can't keep saying that maybe it's the drugs they're on because. Well, I was at a party one time when I was a teenager, and there was a guy there who did acid, mm-hmm. and he was sitting in a corner with his legs all drawn up and his hands over his face. And every once in a while, he would open his hands up and go, I'm in orange. And then he'd fold his hands back over. Well, then I wouldn't necessarily believe a story he was telling. Okay. But these (laughs) other people that seem like decent, honest, hardworking people. I mean, right at the start of this, it says... In 1935, Dr. E.G. Moon, a very down-to-earth Scots physician. I mean, he was a down-to-earth guy. You know, he was a physician. He obviously held a a position of, of authority and trust. I don't think he's out there sucking down the acid. Well, no. But then again, who knows? I don't know. I just think it's I just think if you if you if something like that happens to you and, and you don't you're not bothered by it, I think there's something not, not well, right about you. I think he was bothered by it because he didn't want it getting out until after he was gone. So he wasn't looking for notoriety. He wasn't looking for a lot of these people today that suddenly jump on the internet or or sell their story to newspapers. It wasn't any of that. He kept it quiet because he didn't want to affect anything else. So I think I think in this case that really did happen to him or certainly he believed it happened to him because he didn't want to feel the negative repercussions of it, but still wanted the story out at some point when it wasn't going to affect him any longer. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think we can put everything down to drugs. Well, I don't either. I mean, when you were away and you fell down and bumped your head... Thanks. You know, I mean, it's... it's. Bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, but hold on. You thought it was dark. Okay, let me let me just tell you guys what what happened okay i was working away i was in a hotel i was in a shower everything was absolutely fine no problems and whatsoever. he fell down and went boom and i got <laughs> out of the shower and as i got out of the shower and stepped on the the mat uh on this polished tile floor 
the mat slid from under me and the next thing I knew I woke up and I couldn't see anything. I'd hit my head and I couldn't see anything I thought because I'd gone blind from hitting my head so hard but it turned out that during the fall I must have grabbed the pull cord in the bathroom and turned the light off as I fell and there was no windows or or anything in that room. It was six o'clock in the morning it was pitch dark and um, yeah. But it could have been a time slip. I mean, maybe somebody else was in there and they were having a poo and their eyes were closed because they didn't want to be, you know, they're concentrating. So. It wasn't a time slip. It was a Shelly slip. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. A, it was a. I'm trying to help you out a little bit so people don't think you're a klutz. It wasn't it, my finest hour. Well, well, hang on a minute, Miss Flipping Accident Prone. Well. You're more accident prone than anyone I know. Well, no, I never said I wasn't. This is the woman who blinded herself with a Burger King straw. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have like one of those shows one day where we talk about all of my misadventures. Yeah. It would be quite amusing, I think. It would be a Anyway, anyway, podcast. let's let's uh, let's move on before yeah. the people want to get in the time machine and go further ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can easily do that just by skipping forward. But anyway, don't tell. All of the links, by the way, to all of the stories that we're saying, as always, are in the show notes. Okay, so please do scroll down to your podcast there, look at the information, and you'll see the rest of the notes there, so you can do your own research or recap any of the information we've already told you about. So. Rumours that the US government have been conducting experiments in psychological warfare in Montauk at either Camp Hero or the Montauk Air Force Base Station began to bubble in the mid-80s. Preston B. Nichols legitimised the theorising when he detailed the supposing events in a series of books. In the Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, 1982, Nichols recovered repressed memories about his stint as a subject in a mysterious experiment. Soon, others involved with the Montauk Project came forward to corroborate some of Nichols' seemingly outlandish claims. As these and other subjects recovered more of their memories, they gave numerous interviews about their involvement in experiments involving space, time and other dimensions. Depending on the interview and when it was documented, the scope of what was happening in Montauk is expansive enough to include many other conspiracies. As of now, the going narrative leading up to the 1983 incident begins during World War II with a much more famous, covert military operation. In October 1943, the US military supposedly conducted secret experiments in the naval shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. On a quest to discover a way to foil Nazi radar so that they could safely transport supplies to the Allies in Europe, the Navy has never admitted to any of these tests taking place, But, according to conspiracy theorists, as far back as 1955, it not only succeeded in uncovering how to make its ships invisible to radar, but reportedly accidentally managed to cause a battleship to travel to another time. Oh, no way. Into a different dimension. The ship went somewhere. And after the military learned about the negative effects overexposure to their version of the Upside Down had on the crew, it shut the project down. Now, where upside did you hear the down? Upside Down? Yeah, from Stranger, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. How and, weird is that? And that's well, like no, a whole... Well, no, the Montauk project is what inspired Stranger Things. And that's what I took all of this from. So, Well, how cool was that? That's a really good show, y'all, on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, it's really awesome. After seeing the Philadelphia Experiment movie in 1988, 57-year-old Al Bielik couldn't shake the eerie feeling that he'd seen it somewhere before. 
Undergoing various forms of New Age therapies, Bielik was able to uncover repressed memories of having worked on the Montauk project in the 1970s and 80s. He also ascertained that his memories had been locked away to keep the experiment secret. As his memories came flooding back, he learned his name wasn't Al Bielik after all. Born Edward Cameron, he'd also worked on the Philadelphia experiment with his brother, Duncan Cameron, when both were in their mid-twenties. So they erased the guy's memories. This is military, right? Erased his memories and then gave him a whole new identity or whatever. Correct. Why didn't they just bump him off? Well, you'll hear this in a minute. A few years later, Al Bielik presented his story at a mutual UFO network conference. The Philadelphia experiment was real, he said, and he was the proof, having lived out the World War II section of the movie. Bielik claimed that sometime in the 1940s, Nikola Tesla figured out how to make the USS Eldridge invisible and, in the process, opened up a time wormhole into the future that sucked in the ship. It was a really good movie, by the way. The Cameron brothers were on board, jumping off the vessel and landing at Montauk's Camp Hero on August the 12th, 1983. The military promptly sent them back through the wormhole with a mission, destroy the equipment on the Eldridge. According to Bielik, the brothers completed their mission, though that didn't stop the government from doing more experiments on building portals into the future. During a 1990 speech for the Mutual UFO Network, Bielik described in vague terms how he'd been de-aged, had his memory wiped, had been forced to live out the rest of his life as Al Bielik. He explained how in the early 1960s he, as Edward had convinced his father to have another child so that they could port Duncan's consciousness from 1983 into the sibling born in 1963. Bielik referred to this version of Duncan as a walk-in soul. He also suggested that a 1983 accident caused him to begin ageing rapidly. When psychic powers became psychic espionage, Bielik's story circulated and gained the attention of Preston Nichols, who would befriend Bielik and tell the Cameron brothers, and his own story in the Montauk Project Experiments in Time. Nichols writes of his time working at Camp Hero on the secret experiments. Specifically during the 1970s, he claimed he'd worked with Bielik on something called the Montauk Chair, a piece of furniture that used electromagnetics to amplify psychic powers. Duncan Cameron, the walk-in soul, child version, born in 1963, was found to have psychic powers, and became the focus of many of the Montauk chair experiments. Apparently, Duncan could manifest objects just by thinking about them while in the Montauk chair. One of the experiments Nichols describes sounds a lot like the experiment being performed on Eleven before she opens the portal to the upside down. The experiment was called the CNI. With a lock of the person's hair or other appropriate object in his hand, Duncan could concentrate on the person and be able to see as if he was seeing through their eyes hearing through their ears and feeling through their body. He could actually see through other people anywhere on the planet. Nichols continued to experiment with Duncan, who was such a powerful psychic that no one suspected that he was a man from the distant past inserted into a new body. He tried to harness his adept subject's powers in the Montauk chair to conduct mind-controlled experiments using special radio dishes at Camp Hero. And this is where the other children came in. In his book... Nichols writes of other boys being brought in and experimented on. Some were sent through a portal into the unknown of space-time. Stranger Things lifts this theory. The name Eleven suggests that there were likely ten other subjects. In Nichols' book, these abductees are known as Montauk Boys, 
and since Nichols and Bielik started speaking about their regained memories, other Long Island men have rediscovered that they were frequently abducted from their homes by Camp Hero scientists who wanted to break them psychologically so that they could implant subconscious commands. After several years of experimenting with Duncan in the Montauk chair, Nichols claims that they could reliably travel to other times and places, and even to Mars. Eventually, they were able to program Duncan with some basic commands so that he didn't need to be confined to the chair all of the time. At one point, however, Nichols' superiors told him to turn on the Montauk chair and leave it running through August 12, 1983. As the story goes, by having another time travel machine switched on, the Montauk project successfully created a wormhole to 1943, with power at both ends. That's how Ed and the Duncan camera of 1943 came through the portal and that events described by Al Bielik occurred. So that was what created the Philadelphia experiment, or the incident that happened at the Philadelphia experiment. Nichols right. kept the Duncan of 1943 away from the 1963 version, but quickly realised that time travel was way too complex and far too dangerous to be messing around with. But apparently torturing children is just fine, you know. yeah. He and three colleagues hatched a plan to use Duncan to shut down the project. So the bulk of the Montauk project is set around the same timeline as Stranger Things, but true believers like Nichols and Bielik, up until he passed away in 2011, maintain that these experiments dealing with the expansion of human consciousness and future technology are still going on somewhere, somehow. In 2008, an unidentified carcass of an animal washed up on the beach of Long Island, adopting the label of the Montauk Monster. Urban explorers still venture into Camp Hero on Long Island, where some claim you can still hear the screams in the abandoned tunnels. Sporadic reports that the closed base still draws military levels of power, despite being inactive, persist. And the truth about Camp Hero and what happened there continues to be concealed beneath multiple layers of rumour, myth and the fiction of Stranger Things. Very strange. So, I don't know whether I believe everything that went on in there, but there are lots of people now that have kind of jumped on this bandwagon. Yeah. You know, and and are now saying that they were some of these Montauk boys as well. Yeah, but that's the way of people, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, it reminds me of this whole thing at the minute with people acting inappropriately that's in the media where every... Everyone that's ever been famous or or has ever had any kind of airtime at any point now is suddenly an abuser. I'm not saying that, you know, everyone's innocent. I'm not saying everyone's guilty either. But it just seems like there's now everything is coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, you walk by somebody and bump them by accident. Yeah, 15 years later, someone's going to complain about it. Yeah. So you've got a story there, haven't you? What have you got? If you woke up tomorrow and discovered the secret to time travel, what would be the first thing you'd do? I'm trying to think. I've never thought of that. You think about what you'd do if you win the lottery and everything, but I've never thought about what I would do if I had to travel back in time. If anybody's got any good ideas of what they would do if they were able to travel back in time, drop us an email, weirdwackywonderfuloutlook.com and let us know. Back in March 2003, an article appeared on Weekly World News and was shared on Yahoo that announced that a man named Andrew Carlson was arrested on insider trading charges. When captured and interrogated, he claimed that he was 44 years old and was from the year 2,256. 
According to the report given by the Security and Exchange Commission, Carlson started with an investment of only $800 and in two weeks turned it into a portfolio valued at $350 million. Every trade he made was capitalized on unexpected business developments. According to them, there was no one anyone could luckily make those investments without an inside track, unless you're a time traveler and all this already happened in the past. How cool would that be? See, that's the thing, isn't it? Most people say, oh, I'd go back and find out what the lottery numbers were. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much the plot of Back to the Future 2. Yes, McFly, with Carlson taking a page from Biff's handbook. Some of the trades were so high-level and secret that there was no way anybody could have known about them. As well, at the time, stock prices were nosediving and most investors were losing money. Then there's this one guy who makes 126 high-risk trades and never loses a cent. The SEC and the FBI were convinced he was a pathological liar. Carlson was captured and interrogated. The SEC and FBI figured they'd get some lucrative info on an insider trading ring, but instead got a four-hour confession from the man claiming that he had come from 250 years in the future. It was no secret in the future that this era was one of the worst times to be buying stocks, but someone armed with knowledge of how it was all going to go down could make a fortune. His plan was to buy a little here, lose a little there, but he got caught up in the excitement and just made a windfall. The more they pressured him in his videotape confession, the more he insisted that it wasn't a matter of secrets, but commonly known information in his time. He also made a bid for leniency, saying that he's been all throughout time and can share historical facts with them, including the whereabouts of Osama bin Laden and the cure for AIDS. That's some big-ass bargaining chips, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's not known if he actually shared his secrets, considering that bin Laden wasn't found until 2011, or perhaps he shared even more valuable secrets that are still classified to this date. Yeah, they just released the JFK uh, things. I'd I'd be interested in seeing that, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. All Carlson wanted was to be released and go back to the future with his time craft. He refused to reveal the location of the machine or talk about how it works for fear that it would fall into the wrong hands. Even more curious is that there is no record of Andrew Carlson prior to December 2002, and shortly after being arrested, a mysterious man posted his $1 million bail. He was due in court again on April 3rd and disappeared on the way to his hearing. He was never heard from again. Since then, people have debated if this really happened or if it was a hoax. Well, it's funny because, yes, it came from Weekly World News, which isn't necessarily the most reputable place. It's known for making things up. However, would the FBI, for instance, be saying... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, that happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. we know about time, time travel. They, we know that there was a time traveller here because they they couldn't possibly come forward and say that because they don't have the answers as to how it's happening. Yeah, or, and- or if they do, they don't have... They're not prepared to release the information as to how it happened because what if somebody then decided to go back? Would they create problems and what have you? So even if it was real, they would. it would be in their interest to keep a... On the down though, wouldn't it? Well, they'd also probably be scared. So if they'd end up like one of that that guy, that walk-in souls guy. Yeah, exactly. We'll wipe them and... Jump into their bodies instead. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking about the government, 
there is stuff here about Donald Trump. And it doesn't matter what you look at these days, there's always something on Donald Trump, isn't there? Yes, yes. Okay, let's hear about this newest thing. So this is obviously back from a little while ago, but it says, as Donald Trump prepares for his inauguration as president, the theories of his supposed connection to a thrill junkie time traveller has resurfaced. Many are convinced that a man called John Teeter time travelled from the year 2036 to 2000 to warn the world of an impending nuclear war at the hands of ISIS. Appearing only in online forums 16 years ago, nobody knew the identity of the man who vanished without a trace. But some are now certain that this man was none other than President-elect Donald Trump. Conspiracy theories now believe that billionaire tycoon Donald Trump is poised to use the highest position on the planet to stop the impending nuclear war with ISIS terrorists. I think he's got a lot more to worry about than just ISIS at yeah. the moment. <laughs> Donald Trump, who's supposedly already seen a future ravaged by the destruction of a nuclear conflict, is determined to avert the oncoming apocalypse at whatever cost. The conspiracy theory, which recently appeared on 4chan online forums, claims to be one of the most compelling explanations for Trump's shock victory at the election last year. That was the report. This is the... This is the supposed evidence, okay? Okay. So, first of all, Donald Trump. The legend teller suggests that Donald Trump's uncle, John George Trump, who was a very well-known scientist and inventor, oversaw the examination of famous engineer Nikola Tesla's notes after his death. Serbian-born Tesla moved to the US in 1891, was famed for his reputation as a mad scientist. Tesla was also well known in his later years for exploring theoretical subjects and even made very early pronouncements into the possibility of wireless connectivity. He apparently looked into fantastic theories such as free energy, anti-gravity, invisibility and most importantly, time travel. After Tesla died in 1943, the National Defence Research Committee called on MIT professor John Trump to look into his work in case there was any military application. Trump spent three days by himself looking into the notes before concluding there was nothing of any significance. His report read, Tesla's thoughts and efforts during at least the last 15 years were primarily of a speculative, philosophical and somewhat promotional character. Conspiracy theorists claim Trump found theoretical designs for a time-travelling machine. John G. Trump spent a lot of his time with his nephew Donald before he died in '85. In interviews, Donald Trump regularly brought up his uncle John and references his warning over nuclear weapons and the damage they may cause. During one such interview, he cryptically said, my uncle used to tell me about the nuclear before nuclear was nuclear. And it was good. Uh, yeah, it was very, very good. Very, very. <laughs> he told the Boston Globe, he would tell me, there are things happening that could be potentially so bad for the world in terms of weaponry. Trump told the Times that his uncle would tell me many years ago about the power of weapons someday, that the destructive force of these weapons would be so massive that it's going to be a scary world. Very, very bad. A very, very scary world. <laughs> what is strange about the warnings is that by the time Donald Trump was born in 1946, the US had already owned and used nuclear weapons. Trump also spoke about his dislike of nuclear weapons, saying, I hate nuclear more than any. My uncle was a professor at MIT, used to tell me about nuclear. Can I be honest with you? It's going to happen anyway. It's only a question of time. Right. 
Many have cited John Trump's foresight as proof that he might have seen John Titus' future ravaged by nuclear war and government corruption. Donald Trump is also well known for occasionally using pseudonyms such as John Miller and John Barron, using his middle as first name. But according to the theory, his third and less well-known identity was John Teter. In 2000, an online forum came alive with the story of John Teter, who claimed to be a soldier from 2036. He lived in a world destroyed by war and government corruption. He offered some helpful tips on what the future had in store and suddenly vanished after many of the predictions did not come true. He was written off as a hoax. The legend goes that after John Trump had mastered time travel, Donald Trump journeyed to the future under the name John Teter. After witnessing the destruction, he returned to our time and subtly changed the future through the butterfly effect by giving humanity hints on what was to come true. But try as he might, Trump was unable to totally change the Earth's progression towards nuclear war brought on by ISIS and Islamic radicalization, according to the Wild Theory. So, using his time-travelling ability, Trump amassed a fortune with his family and began running for President of the United States to allow himself to truly change the future. Now that Trump is about to become the US President, he will be able to truly change the world and avert the nuclear destruction planned for the world. According to the conspiracy, there are quite a few similarities between President-elect and John Teter. In Teter's post, he was incredibly rude and aggressive towards those who challenged him. In one post he wrote, perhaps I should let you all into a little secret. No one likes you in the future. This time period is looked at as being full of lazy, self-centred, civically ignorant sheep. Donald Trump also seems to have a similar flair for insulting his critics and opponents and in one speech in Las Vegas in 2011 he said, our leaders are stupid, they're stupid people. And Trump, takes one and no one, doesn't it? <laughs> and Trump has been outspoken in claiming that he's more knowledgeable about United States enemies than top officials. In 2015, the incoming president said during a campaign speech, I know more about ISIS than the generals do, believe me. Trump has been mocked for the, his comment, but his claims are believed to back up the idea that he may know more about the future of ISIS than top US officials. The bizarre conspiracy theory claims that Trump is now attempting to avert the future by becoming president and dramatically altering the world's timeline by tackling the enemies which could potentially bring humanity to destruction. Well, no, all he's doing is pissing off other people. Well, and, I and, think... and all the nuclear stuff's going to happen anyway because it's just going to come from a different place. I think of all of the conspiracy theories I've ever heard, that's the most ridiculous, that Donald Trump is a time traveller. I'm sorry. Well, I am calling is, bullshit on that one. Yeah, if he is, I hope he fucking goes back in his time machine in the door jams or something so he can't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> or he slams his leg in it or something, you know. Uh, oh, well, anyway. Okay, so if, let's say for one second, that that whole Donald Trump thing is true, one thing that would happen is you would get what we call a paradox. Okay, mm -hmm. so something that is going to occur that is going to contradict Alter. time. Mm -hmm. Okay, there are five main paradoxes. The first one is called a predestination paradox. Imagine that your lover dies in a hit and run car accident and you travel back in time to save her from that accident. Yeah, only to find that on your way to the accident, you're the one who accidentally runs her over. Oh. Your, sucks. your attempt to change the past has therefore resulted in a predestination paradox. One way of dealing with this type of paradox is to assume that the version of events that you've experienced are already 
built into a self-consistent version of reality and that trying to alter the past you will only end up fulfilling your role in creating an event in history not altering it you become that event if you like okay and in the process she's still dead and now you're in a world she's of still shit. dead exactly <laughs> Oh, I'm going to mention movies as we go along here because each one of these paradoxes, there's a movie about that paradox. So this paradox is illustrated in the Time Machine movie, uh, which is 2002. In that movie, Dr. Alexander Hartigan witnessed his fiancée being killed by a mugger, leading him to build a time machine to travel back in time to save her from that fate. His subsequent attempts to save her fail, though, leading to him to conclude that i could come back a thousand times and see her die a thousand ways after then traveling centuries into the future to see if a solution has been found to the temporal problem hartgun is told by the uber murloc you built your time machine because of emma's death if she had lived it would never have existed so how could you use your time machine to go back and save her you're the inescapable result of your tragedy just as I am the inescapable result of you. Mm. So if she had lived, he's going back in time to try and save her so that she lives. But he would never have had to go back in time to save her because she'd have lived. Right. Yeah, so he wouldn't have ever got a time machine and wouldn't have ever gone back to make sure she lives. So anyway, she's going to die. Right. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the predestination paradox. There's then the bootstrap paradox. And this is a type of paradox in which an object, person or piece of information is sent back in time and it results in an infinite loop where the object has no discernible origin. Let's imagine, for instance, George Lucas travels back in time and gives himself the scripts of Star Wars, which he then goes on to direct and gain great fame for which would create a bootstrap paradox involving information as the scripts have no point of creation. So they never can exist. They never can exist because he'll go back in time. Say, for instance, George Lucas goes back and he leaves leaves these scripts on a table. Okay? George Lucas walks in and goes, oh, fuck me, there's a script on the table. Let's have a look at that. Reads it. Oh, this is great. It's going to make me loads of money. He's then, that George Lucas is then going to follow that timeline. But that script didn't exist, has no point of origin of ever existing yeah, because at the timeline that the new George Lucas is following, it's never, they're never going to be created. They were created before. Yeah. Bootstrap paradoxes occur in movies called Somewhere in Time in 1980 and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in 1989 and also the Terminator movies and Time Lapse of 2014. The third paradox is the Grandfather Paradox. Now, this gives rise to the self-inconsistent solution. Because if you've travelled to the past and killed your grandfather, you would never have been born and therefore would not have been able to travel back into the past. A paradox. Let's say you decide to kill your grandfather because he created a dynasty that ruined the world. You figure that if you knock him off before he meets your grandmother, the whole family line, including you, will vanish and the world will be a better place. According to theoretical physicists, the situation could play out as follows. You pop back in time, walk up to him, point the revolver at his head. You pull the trigger, but the gun fails to fire. Click, click, click. The bullets in the chamber have dents in the firing caps. You point the gun elsewhere, pull the trigger, bang! Point it at your grandfather, click, click. Mm. So you try another method to kill him, but that only leads to scars that in later life he attributed to the world's worst mugger. 
You can do many things as long as they're not fatal until you're chased off by a policeman. That, first of all, is a timeline protection hypothesis that, that would you could relate to the grandfather paradox. The other one would be the multi-universe hypothesis, and that is you pop back in time, walk up to him, point the revolver at his head, you pull the trigger, boom, he's dead. The deed is done. You return to the present, but you never existed here. Everything about you has been erased, including your family, your friends, your home, possessions, bank account, history, everything. You've entered a timeline where you never existed. Scientists then entertain the possibility that you've created, essentially, an alternate timeline or, or entered a parallel universe. Let's kill Hitler paradox. Sim- that actually, that, that's quite popular. Yeah, similar to the grandfather paradox, which paradoxically prevents your own birth, killing Hitler paradox erases your own reason for going back in time to kill him. Furthermore, while killing Grandpa might have limited the butterfly effect, killing Hitler would have far-reaching consequences for everyone in the world, even if only for the fact that you studied him in school. The paradox itself arises from the idea that if you were successful, then there would be no reason to travel back in time. If you killed Hitler, then none of these actions would trickle down through history and cause you to want to make the attempt. By far the best treatment for this notion occurred in the Twilight Zone episode called Cradle of Darkness that sums up the difficulties involved in trying to change history with another being an episode of Doctor Who called Let's Kill Hitler. Lastly, there's the Polchinski's paradox. American theoretical physicist Joseph Polchinski proposed a time paradox scenario in which a billiard ball enters a wormhole and emerges out the other end in the past just in time to collide with its younger version and stopping it going into the wormhole in the first place. Polchinski's paradox is taken seriously by physicists as there's nothing in Einstein's general relativity rule to rule out the possibility of time travel, close time-like curves, or tunnels through space-time. Furthermore, it has the advantage of being based upon the laws of motion without having to refer to the interministic concept of free will and so presents a better research method for scientists to think about the paradox. When Joseph Polchinski proposed the paradox, he had Novikov's self-consistency principle in mind, which basically states that while time travel is possible, time paradoxes are forbidden. However, a number of solutions have been formulated to avoid the inconsistencies Polchinski suggested, which essentially involves the billiard ball delivering a blow which changes the younger version's course, but not enough to stop it from entering the wormhole. This solution is related to the timeline protection hypothesis, which states that a probability distortion would occur in order to prevent the paradox from happening. This also explains why, if you try to time travel and murder your grandfather, something will always happen to make that impossible, thus preserving the constant version of history. So you can't really change the future at all? So is your brain sufficiently fried? Yes, very much so. My eggs are scrambled. (laughs) My, That's a little my bit too personal. Scrambled. <laughs> I don't want to know about your eggs. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to end it here so she can go and sort her eggs out. Thank you very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you can, if you can follow us on Twitter at the www podcast, we would appreciate it. Also, if you can uh, like us on Facebook, maybe pass that out to your friends. We've got a Facebook profile that obviously we want you guys to hit as well, if possible. And lastly, wherever you get your podcast from, could you please review us? Give us a, a nice review so that we can go up in the ratings and then that gets us out to more people so that we can, we can grow this podcast even more.
And don't forget, send us your stories to weirdwackywonderful at outlook.com. And if you have any suggestions for future shows, send that to us as well. Anyway, gotta go because we are going to go over to Halfords to get a new flux capacitor. (laughs) Bye. See you guys. Bye. (laughs)